You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time to meet the Muppets, so let's turn on the mic. For Muppet Show beginners and experts alike. Come on and join the party, that's only just begun. Let's smile for a while, it's time to have some fun. We're taking in a show tonight, play the music, light the light. Raise the curtain up and then, it's time to meet the Muppets all over again. So take a break and take a load off. Let's all take a ride in a Muppet-tastic time machine with Fergie as your guide. So no more hesitation. Let's start the episode. We're moving right along. Let's get this show out on the road. Get the show on the road. Hello, oh, hello, oh, he, he, hello, oh, hello, oh, he, he, hello, oh. What's up, y'all? What's up? It's me, Fergie L. Philippe. Welcome to It's Time to Meet the Muppets, episode 104, talking about Connie Stevens. Um, But before we break into that, what's up? How's everybody doing? I hope everybody's had a lovely couple of weeks. Uh, For those who don't know, this show is running on a bi-weekly schedule. We don't release an episode every week. We release an episode every other week. Um... Maybe that'll change, but that's kind of the way that I've been doing it for right now. That's just the way that it works for my schedule. But I hope everybody's been enjoying the episode so far. Uh, thank you to all those who have already commented and subs- uh, not subscribed, follow. That's the new term. Uh, follow the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever. Um, please continue to talk about the podcast, share the podcast, tell all your friends about it. Uh, and please keep commenting and rating and reviewing. Uh, follow us on Instagram at meet the Muppets pod, M E E T S M U P P E T. Wait, what? Oh my God. At M E E T M U P P E T S. Oh guys, I'm really bad at my job at M E E T S. E T T H E M U P P E T S P O D. Wow, what a mouthful. Um, like I said, I hope everybody's doing well. Things are good over here. I'm excited about today's episode. Connie Stevens is actually one of my f- uh, favorite episodes of the first season. I had a really fun time. I hope I have not said that every single episode. It's very likely that I have, but but I'm gonna try to refrain from from saying uh, uh, hyperlatives like that. Um. Uh, hyperlatives, hyperboles, hyperboles. I was thinking superlative, hyperboles. Um, but I really do like the Connie Stevens episode. There's a lot of fun stuff that happens here. Um, kind of taking a break from form. Uh, not gonna do a, a Muppet history lesson today. I wanted to talk about some stuff before we jump in, and uh, I have a little bit of uh, uh, not corrected history, but clarified history. I kind of said it correctly, but now I've found a way to just kind of clean it up and say it for this episode but before we get into all that um you know it is it is no secret everybody has seen um so much of the hatred and violence being shown towards um the aapi or asian american pacific islander community um in america um and it's not new it's you know always been around but it's really started to kind of showcase itself publicly uh for the past couple of years and especially um you know in recent years ever since uh we as a country have been dealing with coronavirus um and you know from the 
horrible and and truly uh, terrifying shooting that happened in Atlanta to um, the older woman who was attacked the other day to just, you know, everyday racism that many of my AAPI friends have discussed on their various social media pages or to me personally. Um, it's horrible, and I hope that all of us, that includes myself, are taking the time to really reckon with what our responsibility as people, as Americans, as allies, as friends, um, what we are doing to make sure that we are contributing to a anti-racist society that covers everybody. Um, you know, the AAPI story is one that is very not well known. Um, so making sure that we are reading up on our history, that we're reading up on ways that we can help. Uh, I'm going to be providing a link in the show notes to uh, an article from New York Magazine that provides a lot of links to different organizations and um, different GoFundMes to different uh, people who were affected by, um, people who were attacked, and, and unfortunately some people who were killed and their families, um, so that you could help in any way that you can. Um please consider donating. Um, there are a lot of good people out there trying to do some really wonderful work um, and they need your help and they need your money. So um, every little bit counts, you know, don't ever think that you're donating too little. Please consider donating whatever you can. Um, in addition, you know, there have been, as far as I know, three mass shootings now within the past week or two. Um, obviously the pandemic does not prevent people from having access to firearms and um, unfortunately due to the gun laws in this country that still need to be tightened for some reason we still haven't had a real national reckoning or a, new, a real national discussion about how we handle um, gun rights in this country and by gun rights, I mean how can we responsibly be a society that owns guns uh, so that somebody doesn't walk in, buy a gun, and then later that day shoot up as many uh, massage parlors as they can within an, a few hours. Um, call your senators, call your government officials, read up on any protests that might be happening if that is something that you are... Uh, I don't want to say into, but if that's something that resonates with you, going to protests, and if that's not, you know, making calls, writing emails, and, you know, reading about organizations who are all about really being serious about gun laws and voting. God, please vote. Uh, if you are not, please vote. Um, it makes such a difference and will really prevent things like this, as was very clear after the one the elections um both the um, the Senate race in Georgia and, of course, the presidential election back in 2020. And uh, last but not least, um, it's also the week where Derek Chauvin, or Derek Chauvin, I can't really remember how to pronounce his name, I think it's Chauvin, is on trial for the murder of George Floyd. Um, do whatever you decide to do in terms of that. I'm personally not engaging in that. Um, but simply remember that in any conversation that you decide to engage with people when it comes to this is that George Floyd is the victim. He's not the one on trial. He lost his life. 
the thing that we can never lose sight of is that an officer killed an unarmed man by pressing his knee into his neck for eight minutes, nearly nine minutes, with his hands in his pockets like it was nothing. And that's that's what's on trial, that moment, and what it means to be an armed officer and to treat somebody that way and to kill somebody that way. Um, I mean, kill somebody. Period. I don't. I don't specifically mean in that way. I'm just saying. I'm. I'm truly. T- you know, if you if you can't hear it, I'm just at a loss for words because I. I still don't know how to say anything about that entire situation, and and I just can't stop thinking about George Floyd's daughter and his family, and all those who have to, who have so who were associated with that entire thing and and have to re-traumatize themselves by following this trial and have to watch people twist and manipulate so that they can absolve themselves from the heinous crimes they've committed. Um, One of the reasons I started this podcast was because I really was having a hard time finding purely joyful things to be... um, Uh, purely joyful things that were produced for the sake of joy. Um, so, well, I'm not necessarily uh, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. Um, but but these are important issues to talk about, and there's there's n- nothing about any of this work that ends today. You know, it is a lifelong commitment, anti-racist work, and the work of making sure that all humans are treated equally. Um, that we are making sure we're looking out for our fellow man. And that includes gun control laws. Um, that includes a number of things. That includes being in, making you know our brothers and sisters informed about voting rights. You know, then there's you know there's a bunch of voter suppression BS happening out in Atlanta. I mean, there's so much to talk about, but but I wanted to talk about those few things. And and um, obviously, all those who are AAPI, um, I am thinking of you, and I'm sending you love. Um, once again, I've posted a link into the uh, show notes so that you can help out in any way that you can. Um, yeah, uh, moving away from that, I wish that was a lot of I, th- I wish that was more precise and concise. But um, it's one of those things that I've thought about almost every single day since the summer. And I still am having a hard time putting it into words because it truly everything that has happened since 2016 and what has come to the surface is just truly um, mind-blowing. Let's talk about some puppets. Let's talk about the Muppets because that will help, you know. This episode, we got Connie Stevens. Connie Stevens, actor, director, writer, producer, cinematographer, editor, and singer. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, known for her work in like Rockabye Baby, Party Crashers, Grease 2, classic film, Tape Heads, and more famously uh, for her role of Cricket on Hawaiian Eye. Um, Connie and the Muppets actually first worked together back in 1971 
Bernie Brillstein booked um, Jim Henson and his Muppets for the uh, Tom Jones special that filmed, and Connie Stevens was one of the guest stars, and they worked very, very well together during this, so she was kind of an obvious choice when it came down to uh, filming those two pilot testers. Um, Oh, this is the information I was talking about earlier. So this is the clarified chain of events for the Muppet show. So Jim, uh, they made... The two tester pilots for ABC, they were turned down both times. Uh, CBS pitch reel turned down, yada, 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 yada. Um, Jim made the deal with Lord Lou Grade out in London while they were filming SNL. So they took a hiatus uh, from like January-ish to like all of January, basically. And uh, they went out to London. Uh, they filmed the Juliet Prowse episode, and they filmed the Connie Stevens episode as kind of tester pilots. Uh, they came back to the U.S. to finish out the season over at SNL and finish out Sesame Street. And um, they spent from February through the end of April um, kind of reviewing and working through all the stuff that they filmed, seeing what they thought worked, uh, and, and really just refining and tightening the show as much as they could. Um, and then they went back in May, starting with Joel Gray, and started filming the rest of the show. Um, and so uh, we were kind of out of whack, and you know there was a lot of discrepancies about which when and where and whatever. But um, today was the Connie Stevens episode, which um, aired in the UK uh, April 16th of 1977, uh, and then in New York a couple months before that. Um, but the but the Connie Stevens episode is is you know really interesting when you kind of watch it right after the Juliet Prowse episode you can kind of see uh, and then after the Juliet Prowse episode going into the Joel Gray episode you can really see the progression of what they take from the first two episodes and how they incorporate it into the next um, few episodes and throughout the rest of the season and and how much they kind of taught themselves you know so it's really great it's really really great. So let us begin. Um, We go into the theme song. Finally, 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 a bad joke from Fozzie. A truly, truly bad joke from Fozzie. Very thankful. I feel safe now. Um, (laughs) um, And then uh, at the end, Gonzo breaks the O completely in the Muppet Show sign. Uh, we get out of the theme song and we go into kind of uh, Kermit's introduction into the opening number. I keep going back and forth with this. There's obviously plenty of evidence of Kermit performing on the show. Kermit performs on the show all of the time. There's something about the way that he performs in this opening number, which is Lydia the Tattooed Lady. There's something about the way that he performs in this that for me is so interesting and a very clear sign of them in their early stages, not in a negative way, just in a sense of like, what exactly is Kermit's function on the show? And I personally have been, have been watching a lot of Saturday night live recently and reading a lot of books and listening to a lot of podcasts about um, sketch writing and character writing and all these different things. And the one thing that I think, uh, for a lot of comedy writers, not all comedy writers, but one thing that I love about comedy writers is how willing they are to take risks, you know, um, and just see what is going to work and what isn't. And I talk about this all the time with Jim and, and his work is that he was not precious about it. Like he really was trying to just see what was going to work and what wasn't. 
And for this number, you know, Kermit is obviously kind of this, uh, he's like the lead singer of this number, but it's, um, it's, it's not, it's kind of put on. It's a little bit, not presentational, but it, it is a little bit of kind of, a uh, an idea. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this better, but I feel like as the, you know, when you compare something like this to something like Octopus's Garden, you know, that's very clearly who Kermit is, and it's very much not a departure from Kermit's spirit or Kermit's character, um, but him singing Lydia the Tattooed Lady, it doesn't, you know, feel very Kermity to me, and obviously it's only the first couple of episodes, so why would it be? But But I just think it's interesting, again, how they're just playing. They're seeing, you know, different things that work. And I'm not even saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying this is another one of those moments where you just see them testing stuff. Um, in this number, Lydia is is played by a pig, uh, a very tattooed pig, obviously, the tattooed lady. Uh, she's in this bikini. Um, it's not raunchy. It is definitely a little bit more adult than I would have remembered. There's, de there's definitely a flirtatious nature to uh, Kermit and this this pig. Um, I, I am obsessed with this concept that Kermit has a thing for pigs and and it's it's very planted early on obviously with this being only the second episode that they filmed um and so there's there's a lot of you know um there's a lot of moments in this that are very uh risque if you want to say uh there's a moment when she kind of you know she gives a little she gives a little twerk you know Lydia the pig gives a little twerk you know a, a little a nice little 1976 twerk um, definitely a, a nice little booty shake, and um, there's even a moment, okay, I really need to know this, and if anybody out there can tell me, there's a moment when they make her roll her tummy, like, she does, like, a belly roll, and it is incredible, and I have zero clue how they made that happen, I doubt that it was any kind of, like, cable or, 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 uh, mech, maybe it was a mech, I don't know how they did it, but it was amazing, it's so good, <laughs> but, um, the song itself, Lydia the Tattooed Lady, was written by uh, Harold Arlen and uh, E.Y. Harburg. Uh, it was actually for the Marx Brothers film at the circus, and it was performed by Groucho Marx. Um, a very classic song done on the map. A very classic song done on the Muppet Show. Um, it is featured on many albums and uh, compilations and stuff like that. This is a very, very uh, iconic piece as well. Um, one thing that is very interesting is that this was actually one of Jim Henson's favorite songs. Um, if you haven't seen the Jim Henson Memorial on uh, YouTube, um, prepare thyself. It is very emotional. Um, but there is a sequence where the Muppet performers, um, it's uh, it's uh, Dave and Frank, Dave, Dave Goals, Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, Kevin Clash, Steve Whitmire, um, I don't think Louise is up there during this moment. I think she comes on for another moment, but but it's kind of the the, the core Muppet guys, um, and they sing a medley of Jim's favorite songs, um, and one of them is uh, uh, Lydia the Tattooed Lady, and it's it's Kevin Clash's Elmo singing it, um, and it's it's a really sweet moment. I've provided a link to the entire medley in the show notes below as well, and um, again, prepare thyself. You you will weep. It's just so hard not to. Um, That'll be a Muppet history thing that we get into one day, just the, how the entire memorial 
how his how Jim Henson's death in general was just a really um, sudden, unexpected, and kind of freak thing that happened, and and how quickly they were able to put together this unbelievably beautiful and incredible memorial um, is is really such a testament to how much people loved him. Um, but anyway, at the end of this bit, um, <laughs> Piggy has a moment where. Um, <laughs> Piggy and Kermit meet up, and Kermit goes, well, have you met Lydia? And she goes, no, have you met my fist? And she she decks him, just completely punches him. <laughs> and it's not a it's not a high up. It's so much more subtle and just so much more like, and Kermit obviously just, you know, knocks over. And this idea that, that Piggy's so violent and so upset at everything Kermit does that does not involve her is just absolutely hysterical and even though the the character is not fully formed yet you know she hasn't found that that really like kind of psychotic nature to her with the haya and all of that stuff this moment is just such a nice glimpse and it's so funny um so we we move out of that and we start going into the backstage plot uh into our first kind of running gag uh gonzo is kind of begging hilda again hilda is a character played by aaron oscar who uh is kind of the the show's resident costumer or seamstress and uh well not or seamstress and seamstress um and gonzo wants hilda to fix his teddy bear um and hilda's like no you know that teddy bear is ugly it's gross it's disgusting also don't you think you're a little bit too old to be carrying a teddy bear and gonzo says this great line you think i'm emotionally mature enough to move up to a raggedy ann <laughs> again the jokes are just so good the jokes are so smart um but but fozzy kind of overhears this and and the way that they're referring to the teddy bear is just by the bear and so fozzy thinks that you know everybody you know that they're talking about him so the running gag is formed where basically anytime somebody is referring to the bear fozzy overhears and thinks it's about him and and fozzy basically gets to a point where he's gonna quit <laughs> it all gets cleared up in the end um but it's it's a it's a really great running gag um after this we go into the swedish chef the swedish chef is preparing <laughs> Oh my God! The Swedish chef is preparing meatballs, uh, and uh, the meatballs are a little bit bouncy. That's the one, a bouncy meatball. Um, he makes these like kind of bouncy meatballs by accident, and um, decides, well, you know what? The only rational thing to do is to take out a tennis racket and start hitting all of the balls. And eventually, he gets into a match with Statler and Waldorf, uh, which, uh, of course, uh, Waldorf proceeds to say "15 love" after Statler. Uh, hits one of the meatballs back <laughs> um we go back into another backstage sketch and uh we get into uh wayne and wanda um <laughs> you know it's really funny i can't say wayne and wanda without saying it like sam the eagle like wayne and wanda <laughs> Please welcome Wayne and Wanda. <laughs> I think it's also the fact that Sam is such a such a regal such like a regal force and he is so conservative in nature that the idea of him getting excited of like Wanda it's <laughs> The idea of Sam getting excited is is a very, very funny thought to me, and I, I hope it was to them as well. So we see Wayne and Wanda. Um, this sketch is the 
first thing that they kind of filmed with Wayne and Wanda, I believe, and and um, the characters are so perfectly defined. Like nothing about these two characters change from the moment that they are introduced to how we know them today. Um, they're these two, obviously, very dramatic and very. Uh, I've talked about this before, obviously, but but Wayne and Wanda are, are really funny characters. I love their skits. Um, but in this this. <laughs> in this sketch uh or this scene uh you know they're just talking trash about connie stevens basically because they're these divas who just want to go on uh and then connie stevens uh overhears them and they run back into their dressing room and and that kind of uh transitions into uh connie stevens meeting up with kermit backstage um the show in this episode i will never say it moves slow but that sequence where you know connie sees wayne and wanda and then she kind of moves away and is like oh where's kermit and then kermit meets with her and then you know the the rest of the sketch follows it it uh they get into a rhythm later on that becomes very you know a lot quicker much quicker much more um not louder faster funnier but definitely faster and definitely funnier um and it's it's just interesting so, <laughs> uh, there's a great moment when, um, they're about to go into the, the song that Connie Stevens is going to sing. And, and, you know, um, Kermit is like, you know, we got you these great backup singers and these monsters, these, these, you know, human, these, um, full bodied monsters walk out and it's, it's the mutations, which we talked about back, uh, in the last episode with Sandy Duncan. Um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, that great joke of like, well, they're not the temptations. And Kermit goes, no, they're the mutations. Again, really, really great joke. Um, the, the, you know, then goes into the, the, the Connie's first number, Teenager in Love. And, and Kermit introduces her in this very kind of 50s, you know, jockey radio kind of way. Um, and it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's not, it's not something we expect from Kermit. It's not something we usually see. Um, yeah. Um, but it's fun. It's a, it's a fun little thing. Um, and the, uh, the number begins and it's this very, you know, classic fifties. I don't know. Sock hop. Is that what you say? I feel like I'm going to get, <laughs> I don't know when the sock hops were, but this is like a very classic fifties, you know, kind of greaser, you know, kind of song, uh, or not greaser, but that era, you know what I mean? Um, and it was, uh, so Teenager in Love, it's, it's an old school jam, you know, from the fifties, late fifties though, uh, Doc Pomus and Mort Schumann, uh, but was originally sung by Dion and the Belmonts again, original recording of the song in the show notes in case you want to hear it. Fun tune. Uh, we see the mutations. It's a really fun song towards the end. They start kind of, you know, fighting with each other cause they want the spotlight. Um, fun fact, this is the only, uh, number where we hear the mutations sing from this point forward, the mutations become primarily silent they i mean they they technically sing in uh nice girl like me in um the sandy duncan episode but that's arguable but but this this episode for teenage in love is is the only number where they're specifically these characters are singing um fun song you know cute ending um connie stevens is a i mean really wonderful presence and and i her energy is so um interesting um i was i was saying earlier that the lydia episode is a little bit more um the lydia episode the lydia number a little flirtatious i, I think this whole episode is a very very flirtatious episode and, and if you know you going back to what i was saying before 
um, Jim's desire to kind of not be associated with a children's television show performer by, you know, uh, because he was on Sesame Street, which I think was another reason he possibly did Land of Gorch on Saturday Night Live. Um, but then realizing that kind of humor, you know, that really kind of uh, vulgar and risque humor was really not his his jam. Um, you can still see a lot of it being explored in this episode. Uh, Connie is very like incredibly flirtatious um in this whole episode especially with kermit um there's a lot of tickling of the spine for kermit and and you know she's very uh affectionate with him um and and connie's energy is is a rather uh flirtatious energy throughout the show in general um and i i i only say this because i just think it's an interesting thing to kind of see consistently play throughout the show and and that's something that you know you're going to notice with a lot of these shows is that you know kind of like with Rita Moreno how she's kind of has that one type of the angry Hispanic woman um and obviously it's a stereotype um that uh you know there are problematic you know uh uh, uh roots and things within it but but it's kind of what Rita Moreno made her career off of and and uh types in general are just a very interesting thing because types are based off of stereotypes and caricatures and uh, archetypes and and how we as a society perceive them is a whole other conversation but again it's just a very interesting thing to kind of go back and see these shows that were made in the 70s and you know kind of really take a kind of deeper and more analytical look you know performers of those days you know a lot of performers the idea of being transformative or being you know a chameleon wasn't a thing it was like they had a thing that they were really really good at and that's what they built their career on um and there's obviously a lot of sex appeal with 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 Connie Stevens, and it's interesting to see how they're able to shape and morph that to make it work for this episode as well, um, for something that is supposed to be family oriented while still playing on kind of the thing that I'm guessing uh, Connie Stevens kind of made her career off of. Um, so yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to kind of observe that with all different kinds of um, all different kinds of guest stars, but you know we're mostly going to be seeing it with the women uh, because in those days men were definitely allowed to be a little bit more chameleon-like and women had a much harder time, you know, uh, being versatile or, or, or being allowed to be versatile, if I, if I should say. And so um, that's just going to be something interesting that I kind of look out for. Um, we go into another sequence with Gonzo and Kermit and the teddy bear and Fozzie over here is there's a, a mention of <laughs> Gonzo calling the bear moldy looking and Gonzo, <laughs> not Gonzo, Fozzie goes, Wow, only Gonzo wants me around here, and he thinks I'm moldy looking. <laughs> um, we we go out of that, and we go into at the dance. Um, great bit. Uh, they're finally making uh, Doctor Teeth makes a joke about how they're you know classing the place up, and his partner goes, "Why do you say that?" Well, they're making the rats wear neckties. <laughs> These puppet rats just have neckties on. Um, uh, uh, great. I mean, at the dance is always full of great bits. Um, uh, we then go into the, the UK spot, which is, uh, Sergeant Floyd Pepper singing Ain't Misbehaving. Um, man, what a, what an iconic Floyd moment. Um, this is this, I say this about so many things, but this is really, really one of my favorite moments, um, of, of Floyd and of, you know, anything electric mayhem or electric mayhem adjacent on the show. Um, Jerry Nelson isn't credited in this episode, um, even though he performs Ain't Misbehaving. So the way that that worked, um, 
Jerry didn't film episodes 101 through 103 and I believe 111 through 115. Yes, thank you, Notes. Uh, what, uh, 111 through 115, he, he chose to spend uh, some time with his daughter. Jerry uh, is obviously the performer of, of Sergeant Floyd Pepper. And, um, he, I mean, just in general, Jerry was a genius performer. And this performance obviously proves that. But the, the thing about... Floyd is not that he's just cool, but he is, he is soul. Like everything about Floyd to me is what I love about music. Everything about the electric mayhem in general is what I love about music. And Floyd, especially in, in Ain't Misbehaving, um, he really just encapsulates that really kind of free flowing and loose, aspect that you get when you're listening to something like game misbehaving or when you're listening to jazz or good music um and and jerry was so wonderful about uh infusing all of that into this character and he is such a full character um and yeah so i mean obviously aim is behaving by fats waller very classic uh, uh black artist um um, uh, oh, I, I lost my train of thought about the Jerry Nelson thing. So this is the UK spot, which, I, as I said before, um, we're not always in the uh, US edits of the episodes. But this UK spot was actually filmed a little bit later, and they incorporated it uh, because Connie Stevens wasn't um, didn't air until a little bit later. Um, and so Jerry's not credited in this episode, even though he does that. But, um, uh, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a... It's, uh, it's an excellent, it's an excellent um, moment in the show that I really, really love, um, which is why I keep coming up speechless about it. Apparently, <laughs> um, one of the things that I I really, really loved were some of the camera shots in this number, which I don't really see in a lot of the show. I think they get a lot more direct um, and kind of follow a little bit more traditional. Uh, uh, variety show kind of camera style, but but there are some shots of a close up on Z Floyd's bass and Zoot's guitar, and you know there's some different angles that really get uh, a kind of um, abstract look at how the numbers performed, and that's that that contributes to how um, the essence of cool is really played upon, and the lighting, and um, this is one of those moments where I really am blown away by, by Henson's uh, artistry and by what they were doing on The Muppet Show, which I think can seem trivial, but I think was pretty revolutionary. You know, you have this moment. Um, I listen to something like this, and it's the same feeling that I get, you know, if I was in a jazz club in New Orleans or if I, you know, went to see a really good band in New York. Like, they're, they really encapsulated what the experience is when you go see a really, you know, sick band um and from something as simple as just like changing the camera angle or having the light be a certain way and uh it, it really makes such a huge difference um so go back and watch that number again it's just so it's so 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 good um also if you're curious provided a link to the original recording of ain't misbehaving by fats waller classic song just you know classic everybody everybody should know ain't misbehaving if you don't um, so yeah, we move out of Ain't Misbehaving, and we go into the talk spot. Um, in the talk spot, interestingly enough, um, 
this this isn't it's a talk spot but it goes into kind of a a, a, a musical number connie ends up singing uh close to you uh as originally made famous by the carpenters um close to you was written by burt bacharach and hal david uh, originally recorded by the Carpenters, Karen on lead, Richard on harmonies, obviously. A uh, huge, huge hit in the 70s, so this was a great song for them to do. Um, and, and you know, it's a really sweet moment where Connie sings to Kermit and, and sings to Fozzie. Um, again, really this, like, kind of flirtatious nature. And I think the reason I'm harping on this so much is not necessarily for, for Connie's sake, because I'm not trying to say anything about what... Um, Connie's stance is uh, as, as a woman performer and the things, you know, the tropes that she used so that she could become successful. I think it's just more interesting that, you know, Jim Henson was really a uh, kind of adamant believer that his material was for everybody. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is that there is such a emphasis of the flirtatious nature between Kermit and between Connie. Um, and I think there was a, a, in a lot of ways, they were kind of trying to make Kermit this kind of Johnny Carson, Dick Cavett kind of, you know, host character so that he could be up there um, with these guys, like Ed Sullivan type, you know. And so I wonder if that kind of played into it, like really making Kermit the male lead and like, let's make him desirable. Let's make him, you know, let's make him a frog who like, you know, every time a lady guest comes to the show, he he, he puts the moves. He's really, you know, he's, he, you know, I'm, I'm just curious about that because then we don't really see it as much throughout the rest of the the show um which i think is a very smart move for many many reasons but it is something that as i'm watching the episode i'm just like this is so fascinating for them to kind of experiment with this um and i brought up the sex and violence thing earlier or the the i didn't bring up the sex and violence thing earlier what i was saying was earlier you know jim's really desire to kind of be to not necessarily be associated with you know children's performing which is why he created the title the muppet show sex and violence um for abc um even though i think they realized that sex and violence kind of was a, a pretty big step in a direction that they didn't necessarily want to go i wonder if there was a lot of things that they pulled from there that they eventually kind of uh tried to keep around um in in the the actual edit of the show that we see now in terms of the episodes and how they were filmed um just something interesting um but anyway Fozzie comes in halfway and and you know he gets a little jealous that <laughs> that connie and kermit are kind of having this moment and he wants a little he wants he wants some he wants some loving too he wants some flirting too um and and so uh connie kind of sings to him as well and uh you can hear in this you can hear in this uh uh number the 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 kind of deeper voice that frank was using originally for um for fozzy everybody reach for the floor that kind of <laughs> how is my john wayne impression oh my god that justification is so smart to me um but anyway uh, you can hear that kind of that that really deep voice in this number when he's singing um and it's really funny um it's a really it's a really sweet moment um and I love these kind of moments on the show when, when the guest star and, and Kermit kind of get to have like a private moment and just kind of, you know, sing. Um, a really great example of this is when, when Debbie Harry um, and Kermit sing Rainbow Connection. Um, it's a really, really fun moment. Um, um, 
another interesting tidbit about this number is that this is actually the only talk spot again early on uh, that features a couch or a love seat instead of kind of the famous wall and chair. Um, I've got nothing else on that. <laughs> That's just something I noticed. Uh, there's no other episode that features kind of a, a couch or a love seat. Um, and it's just really interesting. Um, oh, but with this song specifically, they actually uh, ended up performing this again, which has happened a couple times where they'll do a song in the early seasons and then do it again later on. Um, they performed this song as a full musical number in the fifth season for, for James Coburn's episode. Um, uh, and they do it on Muppets Tonight. Um, I mean, it's a very famous song. Uh, they did it on Muppets Tonight. The Muppets Tonight sequence is hilarious. Again, in the show notes, because you have to watch it. Uh, Johnny Fiamma is played by Bill Beretta. Um, <laughs> um, it's the it's the John Goodman episode, and, and Johnny Fiamma decides that he's gonna have somebody from the audience uh, come have dinner with him on stage as he as he sings to her. And so Sal, the monkey played by Brian Henson, um, grabs this random woman from the audience named Clarissa, as played by Jerry Nelson, and she she is so uninterested in, in being up there. She's upset about everything. She the first thing she says is, "I don't even like his music." uh she they go sit down at the table and sal's like the waiter and he pulls up a menu and <laughs> uh johnny Viama's like what's the special and sal's like it's the veal and he goes oh veal the meat of love uh and in the middle not even in the middle as soon as johnny starts singing clarissa goes i don't care much for veal i don't like the way it's raised <laughs> it's it's absolutely ridiculous ridiculous and um again another one of those moments where like it is such a classic muppet sketch that they end up doing in the late 90s and it just has that very classic flair of just muppet foolishness um so that's in the show notes if you want to see that um but this song is obviously very popular and, and the muppets use it a lot um we get out of uh uh close to you and we go into another sequence backstage where um it's it's Scooter and Gonzo talking about the teddy bear and Fozzie over here is again. Um, <laughs> Scooter Scooter has a line where he says he's funny. Every time I look at him, it makes me want to laugh and laugh and laugh. And I think he's just great. Um, and then Gonzo says like, but maybe a, a new bear would be nice. And um, <laughs> Scooter's like, yeah, a, a new one would be nice too. Uh, and then of course Fozzie says the bear can barely bear it, folks. Uh, so cheesy, so good, so good, so good. Leaning into the cheese, yes. Uh, we get out of that and we go into oh, we go into a great bit. This is such a good bit. Um, first of all, Zoot is one of the best characters that is so rarely utilized, and I wish he was used more often. Dave Goals's performance as Zoot is so damn funny. Um, and again, another completely fully realized character who barely says anything, you know, everything you, you need to know about Zoot just from the way that he looks, the way that he sounds, the fact that he plays a saxophone and he sounds like this, like, you know, everything about Zoot. Um, and this bit, uh, Nigel, who, um, Nigel is an interesting character, um, so many non sequiturs happening. Uh, Nigel is a character that kind of debuted in the Muppet Show Sex and Violence pilot um, when they were kind of not sure if they really wanted Kermit to be the host. They kind of wanted him to be uh, a part of the, the rep of Muppets. They tested out this character of 
Nigel um, to see if uh, he would be a funny uh, kind of a good host. It did not work. Um, uh, but but Nigel then kind of transitions into the band leader or the conductor of the Muppet Show band. Um, and in this, you know, Nigel comes and tells Zoot, you know, you're going to play this great little number. Uh, Zoot is very reluctant. Uh, and, and he has this fantastic line right before he starts playing. And he goes, forgive me, Charlie Parker, wherever you are. And then starts going into this this solo. And it's not even really a solo. He's just playing one note every time um halfway through Manamana comes in with a bell so that he can provide percussion and it it gets into a thing where you know he's hitting the bell and then out of nowhere he starts hitting the music stand then he hits Zoot's saxophone then he punches Zoot in the face and it, it you know it all goes to a head and Zoot basically blows him up with his saxophone um so funny Muppet violence is so funny always there is mm, that's a dramatic well i don't know i don't know if there's anything funnier on the muppets than muppet violence um and that can range from a lot of things muppet violence is very specific it's not like gruesome or or uh bloody it's a very you know it's clear that it's a bunch of foam hitting each other that's part of what makes it funny um but it also ranges there's like you know a haya from piggy or somebody getting blown up you know penguins flying chickens being thrown you know there's all kinds of muppet violence that's just funny and and the combination of the sound effects specifically in this number of any kind of hitting and the the sound effects that they found to match up with it just make it absolutely hysterical um this is one of my favorite moments in the whole show so that's that's really great um next we have <laughs> Oh my god. They they really knock it out of the park with some of these bits. Next is Gonzo's uh uh act. And Gonzo stays so true to himself. He is just a weirdo. He is a straight weirdo and I love how much they are so dedicated to that idea. Gonzo grows a tomato plant while he plays the overture of 1812 on the violin. And the best part about this entire sketch is the fact that it lasts literally Five seconds. It does not go beyond five seconds. As soon as the camera goes backstage, you start hearing booing and Gonzo yelling at the audience. And my God, it is so funny. And the timing of a lot of the bits on the show are so smart because of that. And they really define that as the show goes on. I mean, they, you know, they end up also like finding bits that they can really stretch out for entire episodes and stuff. But some of the bits that they have where it's just only a few seconds because it's, that's how long the joke works and they don't try to milk it. They don't try to make it more than it is. It's truly fantastic. Um, and, and, and this, this sketch is one of those moments. Um, so that goes off. We go backstage. Uh, Fozzie quits. <laughs> Fozzie decides he's quitting. Uh, Kermit kind of clarifies, no, we're talking about Gonzo's teddy bear and this, 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 and that. Um, and everything gets resolved. Yay, yay, yay. Happy, happy, happy. Uh, he even tells Gonzo he doesn't have to get rid of the teddy bear. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> there's a moment where Fozzie is like, he gets so excited that he goes, I want... Uh, I would love a raise. And the frog is like, no, but you can keep your job. <laughs> um, it's great. Uh, we get into the Muppet news flash, uh, going back to the idea of like tiny bit 
only short amount of time, but it works. Uh, the newsman receives a call from Washington, D.C. on the hotline, but the phone is actually, like, burning hot, and he burns his hand. Lasts about 10 seconds. Hilarious. So stupid, but so good. Um, yeah, small bit, good bit. I love it. Um, and then we go into the final sequence of the show. Um, Bernie and Ert are here. Ert and Bernie are, are in the show from Sesame Street. Why? Who knows? <laughs> there's no there's no reason, but they're here. Um, fantastic, man. Um, I, I, they, they have a couple moments where the Sesame Street gang comes onto the show. Uh, later on, the Leslie Uggams episode, we'll see Big Bird. And then, you know, there's a sequence in, in season five where the entire Sesame Street Muppet gang shows up. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the most famous collaboration of all is, is Muppet Family Christmas, where the Sesame Street and the Fraggle Rock and the Muppets are all hanging out together. Um, uh, it, it's really fun to see. Uh, and, and this is something that they knew early on. Seeing the Sesame Street characters outside of the realm of Sesame Street is always so exciting for um, the performers and for the audience. It's so fun to get to see Ernie and Bert uh, in in kind of this variety show element and and them being incredibly meta about it, being very directly about like, oh, we usually, you know, we're usually counting numbers or we're usually being very, uh, you know, it's it's different. I, I've never done a variety show and, and they do, and they play on it frequently, which is really smart. And so, um, you know, uh, this whole bit is basically that Bert feels very afraid that they're going to want him to do an act on the show. And Ernie is like, well, Bert, I think you can. And he just needs the right clothes. So Ernie goes off and gets Bert a bunch of these clothes. Uh, and, and when he comes back on, Ernie, uh, not Ernie, Bert feels so amazed and is so inspired by what he's wearing that he bursts out into some enchanted evening. Um, pretty soon, Connie Stevens uh, runs out, and you know he's serenading to her. They go into a dramatic like duet, like this beautiful duet. Um, I mean, absolutely hysterical. Uh, Bernie, B Bernie, Bernie, Bernie Sanders. That's who I was talking about. No, Bert. Um, Bert really gets into it. Then, of course, it ends. Bert, uh, Ernie comes back on stage and Bert goes, um, did I just make a complete fool of myself? And Ernie goes, yes, yes, you did. <laughs> and Bert goes, take me home. I feel terrible. <laughs> and that's it. There's no explanation. There's no reason why there's no, you know, it, it's so funny. They're just there. They're there. Cause they're there. Cause they can be, they're the Muppets. Why wouldn't they be there? Too funny, man. Um, and then, and that's that's the end of the episode. We then go we go into the end. Um, God, that Muppet likeness comes back out, and it's I mean horrifying, just absolutely terrifying. Um, more more flirting between Kermit and Connie Stevens. Um, and and I I've said this before, but man, that little suit that Kermit wears is so damn cute. It is so friggin cute i love the skirt skirt i love the suit i'm i'm not doing well today am i <laughs> um yeah so that's the end of uh our episode with connie stevens i hope you enjoyed uh guys next week we're gonna be talking about joel gray broadway legend 
oh man i love joel gray and it's a great episode too it's it was right after he you know made a stint on uh cabaret and it, it it's really great it's gonna be a fun episode um in the meantime make sure that you head to bpn.fm slash muppets to check out the official page for it's time to meet the Muppets podcast where you can find all kinds of fun stuff and you can find out other podcasts that the Broadway podcast networks produce. Be sure that you head to our Instagram page again. That is at M E E T T H E M U P P E T S P O D also known as at meet the Muppets pod. Uh, give us a follow, give us a comment, shout out, give a little message, shout out. I uh, want to interact with all the people who are listening to the show. Make sure you share with your family and friends, make sure you rate comment, and follow slash subscribe to the show, please, please. Uh, I would love to get some sponsors so that, um, I could, um, make money. I would like to make money talking about the Muppets. So please share this as much as you can so that we can get, because that's the real reason I'm here. I'm not here because I love the Muppets. I'm here because I want to make money. Um, also, be sure that you are headed to Tough Pigs. I was going to say Tough Pigs in the Muppet Mindset, like I've been saying for the past few episodes, but they had recently announced that they are merging together. So fantastic. Please go follow Tough Pigs for all of their wonderful information. Head over to Muppet Wiki for more in-depth information. Head over to Jim's Re Jim Henson's Red Book, which you can actually find if you just simply search Henson uh, Red Book or Jim Henson Red Book on Google, um, prepared by the Jim Hump uh, Jim Humpany. It's been a day, y'all. Prepared by the Jim Henson Company Archives. Uh, the, the Red Book was kind of a log of activities or a diary or a journal of sorts. Uh, and the um, Henson Company Archives kind of broke them down. And there's a lot of great information. And there's so many different ones there. Uh, if you don't own the book, uh, Jim Henson Imagination Illustrated, this is a really great resource if you want to read some really cool stories about um, the filming of the Muppet Show, filming of the Muppet Movie, some of the specials, Sesame Street, all kinds of different stuff. Um, make sure that you are following Muppet History on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, they are now joining Joshua Galipsy, who runs the Muppet History uh, page, is joining the the podcast ranks amazingly uh, with the Muppet History podcast. Uh, so be sure to go check that out. Uh, other podcasts you should look into is Puppeteers, hosted by Cam Garrity and Adam Krutinger. Uh, Below the Frame by Matt Vogel, Under the Puppet by Grant Pachoco, and of course, Getting Filled Up by uh, Dan Becker and Nate Beagle. Um, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you are having a really fun time listening to this. I'm loving doing this show. Uh, hit me in the comments uh, on Instagram or wherever you can find me. If you find me on Twitter, hit me up there as well. Tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you don't like about the show. Just tell me what you feel. Tell me what you feel. Until next time, it's been It's Time to Meet the Muppets. Thank you. We're moving right along. Let's get this show out on the Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 